Welcome to Tales from the Dance Floor, the weekly podcast from Digital DJ Tips. My name is Sean Minitz and this is the final episode of Season 1, in which we've caught up with superstar DJs, producers, artist managers and music industry insiders. On this occasion we wanted to do something a little bit different and turn the tables on the man who usually asks the questions, giving him the opportunity to tell his story. Please welcome to the podcast, the CEO of Digital DJ Tips, Phil Morse. So, Phil, uh, the CEO of the biggest DJ school in the world. Um, Obviously, you weren't always um, teaching people how to DJ. You started off DJing yourself. So, as you do on every edition of Tales from the Dance Floor, can you explain a little bit about where your journey started? What was the moment when you realised that music was going to have such an impact on your life and you would be so involved with it? Uh, There was a few moments. I think the first moment was I was always a geek and my dad had an electronics kit in his in his um, kind of stuff he'd brought from home as a teenager himself in the in the garage of our house. And I worked out how to build a little radio. And I built a little radio and ran a big piece of wire down to the tree at the end of the garden that was long enough to pick up Radio Luxembourg and used to listen to the radio in my room with this little radio I'd built on a piece of wood with a few with a few little nails in it and a few components kind of wrapped around the nails to build this little homemade radio. And I used to uh, listen to pop music. And back in the day, Radio 1 used to end at 7 p.m. at night. And there was nowhere to listen to pop music apart from um, AM radio, which used to fade in and out every few seconds. But nonetheless, that was how I got involved in, in kind of this world of music. And I just remember one day listening to, it was Kid Creole and the Coconuts, Stool Pigeon, um, and I remember just it just something happened, something flipped inside me, and I just thought this music is about somewhere else. This music is about a place that isn't here, lying in this bed as a ten year old listening to the radio when my parents think I'm asleep. And I want to go to that place. I want to know what it's all about, where they recorded this, where where people are listening to this loud, and just kind of like fell in love with the whole idea of nightclubs. Looking back as a ten year old, I must have seen scenes in. Cagney and Lacey on TV or something facing <laughs> clubs, you know, that, that kind of got me got me off and running with the idea. But I certainly remember the track. It was Kid Creole and the Coconut Stool Pigeon. Uh, uh, that kind of funk sound, which, uh, which I've loved ever since. Uh, and uh, just one other, one other same kind of age was um, an under-11s disco. And the, the DJ played uh adam and the ants kings of the world frontier and it has two drummers on that track playing a very tribal beat and i just remember completely losing it as a 10 year old with a a shirt my mum had bought for me with prints of vintage cars in primary colors all over it so i was certainly not the cool kid in the disco but i um i was right in front of the speakers and it, it just changed my life i just thought I, I get it. I understand what this is all about. And uh, that was kind of when it started, 10 years old. Um, that's when it all kicked in for me. So I suppose it's, for many, it's a similar sort of story, isn't it? That it's that joy of music and then realising that it can just take you to another place. So at what point did you start to think that you didn't just want to be the guy that was listening to the records? Where did your sort of fascination with DJing first begin? I think it began partly watching that DJ 
when I was 11 and thinking this guy looks pretty cool. And it's a really good question. And I think it probably began with mixtapes at school, just 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 being a real real music fan and, and buying records and making mixtapes. And actually in my school, there was a there was a, a lesson. It was quite a looking back, looking back quite progressive, really. There was a lesson on kind of business and you, you were allowed to, to start your own business and for a term and see how it went. And the girls were making jewellery and I remember thinking, well, that's not going to make any money. And instead, my friend and I decided to sell sweets, sweets and chocolate and soft drinks. And so we got five pounds and bought a box of something unhealthy, set a table up, sold them, took all the money, went back to the wholesalers, bought 20 pounds worth of stuff and kept going until we had this like business running with hundreds of pounds worth of of, of confectionery being sold in the corridor to the point where the, the head the headmaster of the school called us into his office and said, this has got to stop. And we said, well, why don't you tax us? Why don't you tax us a large amount of money for the, the right to carry on? And he's like, okay. So we carried on. Uh, learned, learned a lot about business in that, uh, in that term. But what really happened then was that we had money and we used the money to go to record shops and buy loads and loads of music. And then we said, why don't we buy a disco? And we bought a carpet cladded turntables and, and cassette deck style thing with a, with a rope light out of the newspaper of some DJ who was retiring. And um, we started running mobile disco events and I couldn't drive. So my mum was taking us to the gigs and I spent maybe a year or two with him before heading off to uni um, DJing. So that's kind of where, and then we ended up doing the end of term parties for our school and then for other schools. And actually we ended up promoting, we ended up putting hiring um, halls and putting our own events on all in quite a short space of time. It was only a year or two, this whole thing. But, you know, by the time I was 18, I was a DJ and a promoter and I, I kind of kind of understood what it was all about. So you'd kind of already gone through quite a, an entrepreneurial apprenticeship by that point. You know, not, not I don't think too many kids would be leaving school or, you know, going into college with that kind of uh, sense for business. And I, I guess that sort of led into the next chapter of your life because did you start immediately sort of contacting club nights or, or you know, how did, how did that progress? Because you started promoting bigger events, didn't you? Yeah, so I went off to college. I was in a band as well at the time, actually. That all kind of fell by the wayside, the DJ and the band, everything. I just enjoyed my three years doing a degree that didn't take an awful lot of time. And um, then the whole the whole house music thing hit. It was at the end of the 80s. And I got totally swept up in that. And when I got back to Manchester, where I was from, um, I just immediately went clubbing um i'd already been i'd already been a hacienda regular before i even went off to university in 86 87 but kind of got straight back into it in manchester found a new circle of friends who were just into the same thing but then obviously almost immediately i realized i could get some record decks and you know i can do this i I know i can do this already i'm a musician i'm i understand all this stuff so I, i i got some record decks and just started djing and then very very quickly one of my pals said, why don't we start a club night? In fact, a third a third person said, why don't you guys come and DJ for me? And so we did. And then he gave up quite quickly any interest in it. So we kind of took it over. So very quickly, I was promoting my own monthly club night with a friend. Um, and the next kind of step for that going full time was I was I was working as a newspaper reporter obviously doing the music pages of the local newspaper that's how i'd 
I'd kind of squared it with myself that this would be a good thing to do, kind of trying to pursue a day job. And the editor of the newspaper called me into his office. I was late again one morning and he said, Phil, it's got to be DJing or it's got to be a, a career in newspapers. You can't have both. And I thought about it there and then and thanked him and said, you've probably done me a favor. I'm going to gonna go for the DJing. And so all of a sudden at 24, I was a full-time DJ uh, with my own club night. And I was a very poor full-time DJ with my own club night. But nonetheless, it was suddenly a full-time thing. And I was playing pubs and bars and promoting and, and learning the ropes. So by that age, it become a full-time thing for me. I take it by this point, we're your, your early 20s, yeah? I'm about 24, 25 at this point, yeah. Okay, so so what what was the was there a sort of a long term goal at that point? Um, was it just to see if you could just keep building up these nights and just going for bigger and better all the time? What what were the aims at that point? To be honest, there were no aims because we thought this whole thing was going to crash down in about six weeks. You know, the whole <laughs> early dance scene in the UK. I don't think anyone had long term plans. And looking back, I I don't think you care when you're that age. I certainly didn't. I knew that I wanted to pursue DJing. I always had three three to-do lists in my pocket. I had, I had the kind of stuff I needed to do as a young young guy to, to kind of live, like go and remember to buy food and things like that. I had one about DJing, you know, because I was pursuing, I, I thought, yeah, I'd quite like to do this. If it lasts, I want to be there kind of thing. And I had one about my club night, which was very important to me. So I was always kind of juggling being a promoter with being a DJ with with kind of surviving. And there was no plan really past the next gig or the next season at the very most. Um, and it never really dawned on me until I'd made enough cash to buy my house that this was ever going to be a thing for me. Uh, to the point where if someone walked up to me and said, what are you doing? You're not a DJ. Why are you doing this? I'd have believed them and, and kind of, that's how it felt. It just felt like I'm not even a DJ. I'm just, this is just what I'm doing right now. Um, and I never had that feeling of, of any long-term part of, of the whole thing at all uh, until, um, sadly, really, until I, I, I kind of started getting bored of it. After about 10 years, it kind of all of a sudden started to lose its, it, it, it's, it felt like it was, I was in a film for most of that time. It felt like I had a film crew following around behind me. That's how much I loved it. That's how, how amazing the whole time was. And then it just kind of wasn't anymore. And that was probably 10 years in. And at that point, I thought, well, you know, I could carry on doing this. I was booking DJs who'd made a career out of it. Um, it all made sense, but I didn't want it anymore. So, no, it wasn't ever long-term, the DJing, even though it lasted 10, 12, 13 years, and even though it bought my house for me, um, it was never never really part of a big plan. So at that point then, Phil, because... You know, it it certainly seems as you were you were living the scenes from twenty four hour party people. Um, More, in fact, used, well, I've got another story for you. I actually was asked to provide the extras for the film Twenty Four Hour Party People by by Dave Haslam, who was involved in the film and he's a Manchester DJ at the time. Yeah. Um, he came to my club. He said, "Phil, you're still doing it. You've got people the right age. Do you want to provide two hundred people for a club scene? So if you ever watch that film." The scene of the Hacienda, which was actually recreated in a big warehouse in the northern quarter of Manchester, is full of people from my club. So there you go. But anyway, sorry, Sean, carry on. That's genius. 
Right, we've we've got to get that scene. We've got to upload that on our, our social media. If we're going to be doing that over the next few days. Definitely going to try and hunt that out. So uh, obviously, you, so you're living this sort of crazy life again. It's almost as if it's it's like a film for you. At what point did you wake up and and feel that this isn't for me, or was there a particular e- event, or was there just something that just didn't feel right? Was there anything in particular, or, or was it, it was just- it was just age, I think. And you know, I wasn't that old. I was only in my early to mid 30s when I thought it was when I realized that the people on the dance floor were all were pretty much half my age I think um and they weren't you know I wasn't playing to to my my lot anymore my crowd anymore um in the beginning it was all of us going out and I happened to be behind the decks and that that kind of wasn't it wasn't like that anymore and I kind of realized things go full circle and while, while I love music to the point of you know everyone getting extremely frustrated with me sometimes because I was a one literally a, a one track record uh, I realized that what I felt and what I thought could couldn't be taught infinitely and I wasn't making the whole world better by playing music all the time to them they were actually just growing up and moving on uh, and then I saw two or three generations of clubbers grow up and move on and I just thought I don't you know what I don't want to keep doing this this is it's had its day for me um, and it took a few years to, to to come up with something else, but but that's kind of when it happened. When I realised the clubbers were, were were not getting older, if you like, and I was. Yeah, that that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think a lot of DJs can relate to that. You know, you, you're playing in your regular bar, and after two or three years, you realise that you're not just playing to your friends anymore. It's a completely new crowd, and obviously, those uh, you hope that those places stay busy and still give you the great memories. But I suppose it must get to a point where we all have to think, is this still for me? But you you didn't just um, stop doing the club nights. You you made quite significant life changes at that point. So was it around then when you actually moved away, or, or was that was that yeah, that, and that was the reason. Down. That was the reason for it. It would. It was too easy to keep doing that. You yeah. know, I could say I've had enough of this, but what what would I do instead? And what would I do if one of the many agencies that that knew me rang me up and said, "Hey, Paul Oakenfold cancelled Cream. Do you want to join join him this Saturday, half price?" You know, I knew what to do. I knew yeah. how to make that a success and walk away with a couple of thousand pounds in my pocket. It was too easy, and I knew I had yeah. to make a big change. So basically, my wife now girlfriend at the time um and i decided to um to get engaged and also to leave the country and we just ran away really from the whole thing to the south of spain where i uh spent a year learning spanish and just kicking back and listening to the kind of music i could never play in my dj sets um and uh chilling out and forgetting the whole thing or trying to anyway and that's what we did with no plan and via a little bit of a route around working in a web agency where I kind of learned I'd already done the social media and well the early social media the early forums and stuff for my for my club one of the things our club night did very well was keep everyone together when they weren't in the club and we had a we had a forum and you know we just kept everyone online in one place which was quite unusual back then um, so I knew a bit about this and I ended up falling in with um, someone who ran a quite a good web company and doing their, helping them with their marketing. And I kind of filled out the website of what I did, did a couple of other things as well. And then I had this skill base. I was a journalist up until the point where I got kicked out of journalism by my newspaper editor. But I've always loved the written word and I still did even after that, that, that moment. I was a DJ uh, and a music fan and I then had kind of professional 
online marketing skills that I'd learned on the job down here in the south of Spain. And so that was when it kind of all came together to, to, to start the chapter that I'm currently in the middle of running digital DJ tips. I mean, it certainly sounds as if you were, I don't want to sound as if I'm just blowing smoke here, but you, you'd really tapped into that idea of community and obviously what social media offers people today. But then the the DJing, how did that sort of rear its head again? Was there a, I guess, was it sort of reintroduced to you in some way or did well, no, you go it's, it's, to a club night? Or? It's quite amusing. that It never went away. It never leaves you. It's like riding a bike. Just because you haven't ridden a bike for a couple of years it doesn't mean you don't know how to do it right I think another yeah. another explanation a, a probably a better one is a professional footballer you know that's yeah. got the same kind of lifespan unless you want to be one of the very few people who carries on doing it for a whole career and of course there are lots of DJs who do that that wasn't going to be for me but a professional footballer will stop playing professional football they'll look back on it as the best time of their lives and quite often they end up doing something related right because they yeah. don't want to leave it and that's exactly me so it never really left me. I was always playing parties. I had I had DJ software on my laptop, even though I'd sold my whole record collection by this point uh, in order to emigrate. And it never left me. So I ended up being uh, talked by my wife into um, what I wanted to do, but the subject is DJing. Because what I wanted to do was um, set up a website about something. I thought I can make a bit of money setting up a website about something. And what I wanted to set it up about was email marketing. What a great life that would have been for the last 10 years, eh? <laughs> um, because I knew a lot about it. I, I was very, very good at it. And it was still a bit of a wild west. And I knew, you know, I'm sure I could have made a success of that. But she said, look, there's only one thing you've ever been good at, and that's DJing. Uh, for God's sake, if you're going to put this effort in, do it, do it around something you know. And I was like, oh, that was kind of that was me in the past that's not me now I want to I want a fresh start and all this and she said just give it a go will you so I did and uh, you know as soon as I began that website I absolutely loved it I loved helping people I loved meeting people online who needed to learn I just loved it and it was it was absolutely the right choice so it's her to thank for digital dj tips being about djing and not email tips <laughs> yeah, we'd all be sat here now just learning how to send really polite emails to people if you hadn't made that choice. That would have been quite would have been possibly, yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously the, the digital DJ tips uh, business model or, or, you know, the community that, that follow uh, the site and uh, take part in the courses, um, it's all about learning. It's all about obviously finding best ways to present yourself as a DJ and, and knit music together. Um, going back to that point where you said about DJ never really leaving you. Obviously, there the may have been a particular DJ or, or an event where you saw somebody maybe trying out controllerism or, you know, maybe it was the the CDJs when they first come around. Was there something where you thought, hold on a minute, this is this is game changing. I, I really need to be paying attention to this. Yeah, there was. And it, it wasn't another DJ or anything like that. What happened was I resisted cdjs i resisted djing on cdjs we had them in the club i could burn cds i could easily do it and you know i'm a geek i know i i know how to i knew the stuff it wasn't like i didn't want to i just felt that they weren't the same so i was still mm -hmm. buying you know we still had turntables in it was at the time when you had a choice in most clubs uh, but i was still buying vinyl and my friends were saying to me why don't you just you know burn cds it's cheaper you can get more stuff if you buy online I'm like, oh, I just, I like the simplicity of vinyl. It's, it's not really me. So I resisted it for quite a long time. So then I kind of took a different route for maybe three or four years. When I came back, 
digital had kind of happened. Now, I was already into it. I had friends who ran music magazines in the UK who had said to me, we've got this software that we don't understand. Will you review it for us? And that was actually before I, I finished DJing professionally. So I was actually DJing in my nightclub from a laptop with a good quality sound card and a very early copy of Virtual DJ in 2004. But I did it because I'm a geek. I did it for fun and just to just because you could. Uh, but I was still really playing vinyl, you know, most of the time. So I'd already had a bit of a grounding in it. And then I had this five-year break. And then someone said to me, will you um, DJ my party? And I ended up looking around thinking, if I'm going to DJ their party, I don't want to do it from a laptop with, with, with keyboard shortcuts. I'm going to need some gear. And I'm going to need to pay for that gear. So remember, I wasn't DJing at the time. Um, and I was kind of, I'd need to justify this expense. And so I looked around the town I lived in at the time. We were in Gibraltar now, but I was in Spain back then. And there was a lovely beach bar uh, that I thought I'd love to DJ here, you know, because I'd always liked playing that kind of music and that kind of Ibiza sunset stuff. And I ended up getting a gig there. And that was my justification for buying some equipment. And I bought an early DJ controller and absolutely loved it. I'd been DJing with like MIDI keyboards and stuff beforehand because you couldn't get DJ controllers in 2004. Mm -hmm. And so I bought this controller and then I already had this controller at this point. So when I decided to set up Digital DJ Tips, I'd already fallen hook, line and sinker for digital. I thought it was brilliant. Um, it felt like the simplicity of vinyl in a little box uh, with all your music with you. I just loved it. I thought it was incredible. So at the time I started the website, I was already in pretty deep with digital and how it worked and what it was all about. So that's kind of that's kind of the the impetus to, to do digital DJ tips and not just, you know, some website about how to DJ. It was always from the very beginning about this new technology. Yeah, I, I mean, I find it fascinating that you went such a, a huge leap there from, you know, playing vinyl to, to completely skipping the CDJs and, and going straight into laptops. And, um, you know, I remember my first few gigs where there was a DJ there with a laptop and it, it was so sort of frowned upon and, and it... it, it, it absolutely silly I, I still don't get why there's so much sort of snobbery around people's favorite software or how they prefer to play their music it, it you know ultimately it doesn't matter but did you sort of did you struggle with any of that when you were first using that technology was that something that sort of you know people were a bit a bit wary of it wasn't and i'll tell you why it wasn't because i was a dj week in week out at a nightclub that was loved by its by its clientele and we were you know, we were residents, we were known and we had, it's still talked about now, that, that club night. So when I turned up with a laptop, I, I made sure I bought a very good sound card so it sounded good. Yeah. When I turned up with a laptop and plugged it in, I just had a queue of my regulars saying, what the, what are you doing? You know, they'd never seen it before. They, they, it wasn't even, it wasn't even at the point where people were frowning upon it because they just hadn't seen it before. And they're like, what is he up to? And of yeah. course, I'd been DJing to the same people on vinyl for eight years at this point. So it's not like they didn't know I could do it. So personally, no, it was never an issue. And then, of course, when you're playing in a bar, having being in the corner of a bar with a controller is not the same as being in a nightclub with a controller, right? There isn't the stigma, really. And yeah. so, no, there wasn't, there wasn't an issue ever. I never felt that. I was always supremely confident. And I always DJed the old way, you know, because, of, because I, I, was, I was used to doing it beat matching my headphones and stuff it was just another uh, another piece of equipment you could do that on um and since then 
I've embraced everything about digital DJing. Now I think you're crazy if you don't use a sync button. It's like not using autofocus on a camera. Why would you want to turn that dial manually every time? Yeah, sure, if it's a bit wrong, once you pressed it, tweak it a bit. But no, I don't I don't get it. I think it's and of course it's an old argument now. Most people are are pretty cool with it. No, very much so. I, I, I agree with that absolutely. So you've 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 taken a break now. You you're back into DJing. You've you've come up with this idea for for a website and a, and a community where you want to help people. Um, at what point did Digital DJ Tips sort of um, progress onto? We're not just going to be here and support guys that are already doing it, but we're going to give people uh, the door. We're going to give them the the way into DJing, and we're going to start teaching people quite literally from the ground up. Because that is one of the great things about our companies that we don't just aim courses and advice for for the elites, if you will. It's it's about people that are brand new to this and just want to learn. So, at what point did you think you know what? We need to we need to try and help the, the the guys that are just coming into this. It's a good question. It was always a magazine at first. It was always just about the new equipment and about the new stuff. I've always enjoyed explaining stuff to people who don't understand it and making them ex- as excited about it as I am. So that's always been part of me. So helping beginners became part of the website quite quickly because, of course, people ask questions underneath reviews and underneath. Um, underneath anything you write someone's going to ask you a question and and I, I started to enjoy this stuff and again my wife said to me look you're spending a lot of time and I was charging money for advertising so I would quite quickly realized that all the companies in the industry whose gear I was talking about would probably pay me a bit of money to have an advert on the website and it turned out that, that they would um but she was saying look you're 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 offering a lot of free advice here why don't you package it all up and sell it and i didn't know how you did this and there was a there was a piece of um training out there called how to dj fast by a guy called sean i forget his second name now and it's actually still there i think i I can't believe it's still there don't buy it people it was in its day it was great but it's old (laughs) i think you can still find it online anyway sean um had this course and I said, I got in touch with him and said, I want to do a course, but yours is on old gear. I want to do one on new gear. Um, how do you do it? And he basically generously told me, told me everything you need to do. Told me how to make the videos, told me everything he knew, gave me, you know, a look at his course. And he said, you know, I'll, I'll try and sell your course for you if you want when you've made it. And I said, well, I'll try and sell yours as well. And we had this kind of thing going. Um, so he gave me a, an idea as to how this was done. Um, and, he he lost interest quite quickly and went off to do something else. But I had this kind of basic knowledge and built this DJ course. Um, it was filmed on an iPhone and uh, the quality of it was hilarious looking back. I mean, there was one video where there was a thunderstorm outside and it got so dark you couldn't see what was happening. And then it got so bright when the sun came out that everything was bleached uh, all in one take. Uh, I didn't know anything about blacking windows out or lighting or uh, anything like that and I didn't even plan it I just hit record and started talking so some videos are 10 minutes long some are 50 minutes long Um, but this course did amazingly it did I mean even now looking back it did all right if I launched something very niche now and it did as well as that course did I'd be quite pleased Um, and that's 10 years on in the business so there was this big pent-up need for this kind of training uh, and that that one course filmed on my phone got me flown to Berlin to meet Native Instruments and suddenly got me known all over the place as the guy who's done the dig- digital DJing course. Um, so 
that's kind of how it started. And at that point, I realized that there's money to be made out of training, but also that I was actually a teacher and I enjoyed teaching, which I'd never known. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it was obvious. So that was kind of the pivot. It kind of happened quite quite naturally. And I, I suppose that's the, the great thing about life in general. You know, when you, when you find something that you're passionate about, you, I think you just give it that extra few percent, don't you? And you, and you start to, you, I, don't, I don't know, I always just think you learn a bit faster or things just seem to click into gear a little bit better when it's something that you care about so much. Um, at what point did you think, okay, we've, we've got more scope for, you know, building building on what we've achieved with this first course and um you know what was the second course how did that differ from the first and or maybe even at what point did you think you know what I think I need to to build a little bit of a team here and start expanding this yeah so because like you say when you're passionate about something you you throw everything at it I was reading every blog every I had an RSS feeder set up for, for everything to do with online business and internet marketing and um, all that kind of thing. I kind of considered myself an internet marketer at this point. I didn't realize it was I was a DJ who founded a DJ school and that that was just the medium. I actually thought, you know, what I'm getting into here is internet marketing. And it said on one of the blogs I read, you know, you can get a virtual assistant to do all the stuff you don't want to do and give you more time to do the stuff you do. Um, and they're in the Philippines and you can get someone for, I can't remember what it was, $200 a month or something to clear your emails for you so I put some adverts on this website and I got um, a virtual assistant who didn't last very long with me but a guy called Joey Santos did see my advert and said you know I'm not a virtual assistant but I am a DJ and I've written for DJ Tech Tools which was quite a big blog at the time and um, why don't I write something for you and Joey's still with us now uh, to this day so Joey kind of joined by putting his hand up uh, and so he became a writer on the website. He makes courses now as well. But then someone who I'd met down here in the south of Spain um, called Steve Canueto just just approached me one day and said, I've just bought this controller. I know you've got a website. Um, I don't know how to use it. Can you tell me? And um, I was like, sure. What you know? What, what kind of DJ do you do? You do? And he's like, oh, I scratch. And I was like, have you ever tried scratching on a controller? He's like, oh, I don't think you can scratch on controllers. And I'm like, have you able to go? And he's like, well, yeah, I have actually, and and you can. And I said, well, why did you just say you can't? He's like, don't know, because it just seems like silly. And I'm like, (laughs) dude, we we need to talk. I've put this course out there that's done really well. Why don't we make a scratch course together? And he's like, that's never going to work. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know if you can teach this stuff. And I'm like, have you taught it before? And he's like, well, yeah, I have to my 10-year-old cousin. And and to judge Jules, and I'm like, well, there's 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 a superstar DJ and a kid that you've taught. I think you can probably teach this. And he's like, <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. And so we end up in the studio that I've built, and we make this scratch course. And I just keep putting him on the spot, saying, go on, tell me, cameras are running, and we edit together this scratch course, and that does like five times the sales that my original course had done. And at this point, I'm like to, saying to Steve, well, look, shall we make a thing of this because we've got on well and we've got two courses now and this is this looks like it could work and he's like I'd love to uh, and then quite quick quite soon we're both working full time with Joey in the business so there's three of us so all of a sudden we had a team and it's just grown there's 10 of us now it's grown grown ever since over the last 10 years and it's just fantastic that it's just it literally has come from from guys that love 
uh, DJing, love music. And, and I think, again, most importantly, and I, I come back to this point a lot, whenever I'm talking to, to anybody about my involvement, it's always about there's that real sense of, of loving to help people and, and just, you know, wanting to see them succeed as well. And I, th- I think that's a really a really nice sort of message that you get from from the company and, and the courses and, and, again, the community through the website and all the social media platforms. It is really good. So now you've obviously, you've got to the point now where you're regarded as the biggest online DJ school in the world. Is that where people like Layback Luke start coming into it? Do you just, do they start phoning you guys up asking if they can get involved or is this because you're out and about testing products and, and obviously in the same sort of market space as them? Uh, well, with Luke, it happened because, you know, in the last, I remember the first time I went to a DJ show, I paid to get in because I didn't know anyone. But of course, when you're doing this for a while, I go to the, the, the NAM show in the US every year. I've been to the BPM show in the UK a, a lot until it changed and kind of became a slightly different kind of event. Used to go to a show called Music Messa in Frankfurt, go to ADE in Amsterdam. And of course, over time, you get to know both by meeting personally and via email and online, you get to know people and all the companies and uh, on social media, DJs will reach out to you. So I, over time, despite being slightly reclusive and despite being getting into DJing in the first place because it meant I could have an excuse to be in a room with other people without panicking, uh, you know, despite all those kind of like typical young man drawbacks, I've kind of like grown into into the role and, and grown into meeting people and getting to know the industry. And I've reached a point now where I know pretty much everyone that... that, that um, that makes things happen in this industry. So at that point, you start to know, you start to get an idea of who you might want to work with. And Luke was always interesting to us because he's always taught. He's always had his own YouTube channels and so on. And it actually happened with Luke through his association with Den and DJ, because we work very closely with all the brands, including Den and DJ. We always enjoy new technology and they were just developing this amazing new DJ technology uh, that doesn't need a laptop. And Luke was very excited by it. And we naturally got talk, talking to Luke's people. And we suggested, why, why, why don't we do this course with, with you? You're already doing it for free. It kind of felt like Luke was where I was at the time that my my pal from old Sean said, you know, let me show you how you, how you sell this stuff. And we said to him, look, we could reach a much bigger audience by building something commercially together so that you can teach more people. And that was a bit that Luke liked the idea of doing something legacy, doing something that he can leave when he stops DJing that people will be able to find and see how he used to do it kind of thing. So Luke was very into the idea quite quickly. And uh, that course came together very easily, actually. Uh, His people are wonderful to work with. He's wonderful to work with. It was quite intense and a lot of hard work. We had a whole week together in Amsterdam with just, that's all we did, you know, morning, noon and night. Uh, But... But yeah, it kind of happened organically, I would say. It just happened because we reached the stage where once we approached them, they knew who we were, they liked what we did, they knew that we were the best in the business and we we had the same feeling about them. So it wasn't really very hard at all for that to happen and again it, it just sort of makes sense about people coming together because they, they want to help and, and want to help you know um, sort of educate and, and help others improve and that, that's really a great thing especially with within dance music because I've personally I've found that some DJs can be sort of quite insecure about giving away their sort of tricks of the trade and um, you know because they obviously they've worked very hard to get where they are and they don't just want to give away that spot to the to the next guy in line but um, again it's, it's just refreshing to see people that are really looking to help and um, 
And funnily enough, the amount of DJs and, and people working within the industry that we've spoken to whilst uh, looking for guests for our podcast, there's a lot of people that are, are looking to go down a similar route. They are seeing the benefits of, of sort of helping each other and, and that collaborative working. We haven't got too much time left, Phil, but in the last couple of minutes that we've got, I just wondered... Where do you see the company going from here? Because obviously it's grown and grown and grown. The the team's getting bigger. Is there anything left to do in terms of goals that you you want to achieve? Is is there any long term projects that you you want to talk about? What's next? There's a lot. There's a lot left to achieve. I feel partnerships are a big part of our future. I think once you reach a certain stage, the best way to reach more people is to partner with other people, other brands, other DJs, other talent. So we're looking into a lot of potential partnerships in all areas of the business to get our message out further. We are constantly improving in the way we teach and present. I spend more time learning about teaching than I do about DJing nowadays, which is probably not too surprising, seeing I've only done one of them for a few years and one of them for most of my life. So trying to find new ways of teaching. There's always new technology. There's VR, for instance, and and, uh, AR technology, which can be, will be, ways that people learn in the future and of course things change all the time you couldn't dj from a music collection you didn't actually own until very recently but now the idea of djing from streaming and cloud services is is there it's not normal yet but it will be soon so there's always something new to teach and where technology and music meet is where digital dj tips has always been strong so as long as there's new technology coming on and as long as things are changing there's always going to be something new to teach and partnering up with bigger brands and brands in other areas and DJs who've got a reach and skills that we haven't got internally is the way that we will continue to do that. Uh, so I certainly see more chapters to be written before before this book is finished. Well, fingers crossed. Again, as, as, a, as a member of this team now, I'm certainly buckling up for, for the journey. So um, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll be having this conversation again in, in maybe a year or two years' time and, and thinking about how, how much has been achieved since. Um, Phil, I think we've, we're just about out of time. So on behalf of myself, it's been great working on this project with you in season one of Tales from the Dance Floor. Uh, obviously, our plan is to be back in the new year. So for listeners, keep an eye out for announcements of our first guests. Uh, but Phil Ross, CEO of Digital DJ Tips, thank you so much for, for having me on board. Thank you so much for catching up with me today and, and talking about your journey. It's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure for me. And let me also say publicly, after a whole run of 45, I mean, 45 episodes of, of a season is is quite some going. Um, what a great contribution you've made to the whole the whole thing, Sean. Editing, lovingly editing, sometimes from pretty poor material provided by me, uh, every single episode (laughs) into something that's hopefully half worth listening to. So thank you very much, Sean, for all your work on on season one. And of course, season two, uh, watch this space, people. Cheers, Phil. Thanks a lot, mate. Bye. Bye.